Women who cannot work. Read Mrs. Corley's letter and benefit from her experience. Edmond, South Carolina. I was run down with nervousness and female troubles, and suffered every month. I was not able to do any work, and tried a lot of medicines, but got no relief. I saw your medicine advertised in a little book, and I had not taken two bottles of Lydia E. Pinkham's vegetable compound before I could see it was helping me. I am keeping house now, and am able to do all of my work. I cannot say enough for your medicine. It has done more for me than any doctor. You may print this letter if you wish. Elizabeth C. Corley, care of A.P. Corley, Edmond, South Carolina. Ability to stand the strain of work is the privilege of the strong and healthy, but how our hearts ache for the weak and sickly women struggling with their daily rounds of household duties, with backaches, headaches, nervousness, and almost every movement brings a new pain. Why will not the mass of letters from women all over this country, which we have been publishing, convince such women that Lydia E. Pinkham's vegetable compound will help them just as surely as it did Mrs. Corley. Oh, the air with the greatest of a daring young man on the dying Hi there, this is Hugh Yeeman, and you're listening to Historic Headlines, the podcast where we gain historical insight by examining newspaper articles from 50, 100, and 150 years ago this week. There's too much confusion. I can't get no relief. Hey there, and welcome to episode 42. Tonight, I am drinking a new favorite of mine. I picked this up while we were on vacation up near Kingston and Rhinebeck recently. This is the Assam from J.B. Peel. It's magnificent, and I am absolutely confounded as to how they can possibly charge so little for it. I am not a shill for this company. I think anybody who knows of my enthusiasm for tea can tell you I don't shill for anybody, but goddamned if I don't sound like I am shilling for them because, honest to God, they charge $10.50 a pound, ten fifty a pound for this Assam, which is maybe not the best Assam I've ever had, but it's close. I'm pretty sure this is the same Assam that that uh, Divinity, just outside of Albany, sells for about $35 a pound. Just the fact that I'm not sure tells you something about the quality of this tea. But again, ten fifty a pound, and it's divine. Mmm, chocolatey. It's got that, not as much of that chocolatey sort of uh, slightly granular fudge sickle 
aspect that I love so much uh, in a lot of Yunantes, but it's there. That aspect is is present, and it's creamy, smooth, mouth-filling, filling, uh, rich. Mm. Damn! Speaking of things that are good... Today I learned about a tennis player who was active 100 years ago today. And I only found out about her because my eye just fell on a big photo in the pages of the Atlanta Tri-Weekly Journal. Again, 100 years ago today, September 10th, 1921. Now, I'm going to give a mild trigger warning here because my first impulse was to put this out on Facebook and say, holy shit, because I was so shocked and and it was, it was this wrenching feeling when I read the headline because it was so profoundly unexpected in the wake of seeing a photograph of this striking, beautiful woman. And I want to give this trigger warning because it occurred to me after that initial impulse that, you know, I'm going to want to give a trigger warning because I know a lot of trans people and I know from their comments just how sick they are of consuming some piece of popular media and then in the midst of it, bam, they get blindsided by transphobia. This isn't transphobia as such, but boy, it is wrenchingly horrid in terms of misogynistic, but more broadly, just gender-based awfulness. I mean, hell, it twisted my gut and I'm a freaking 51-year-old cishet white guy. So, anyway, trigger warning given. Here's the headline from that Atlanta Tri-Weekly Journal article. Modern Cave Woman is Tennis Champion. What the fuck? Folks, you have to go to the show notes. You can't listen to this episode without looking at the images in the show notes. Because for me to say that this woman is beautiful, while that is 100% true, it doesn't do justice to my reaction to this photo and the compound reaction that I had to the photo and then seeing that headline. Because this woman is... Beautiful is sort of missing the point. That's why I used the word striking first. She is leveling this piercing gaze at the camera. It's arresting. It's so just striking, and she's beautiful, and such such a, she's such a figure. And then my brain processed that Awful, mean-spirited headline, Modern Cave Woman is Tennis Champion. There's not too much text beyond that. Beneath the photo, it just says, 
This is a new studio portrait of Mrs. Franklin Mallory. Yes, that's Mola Bjornstedt Mallory, 1921, Women's Single Tennis Champion of the United States. Mm. So that's it. That's the article. And I absolutely had to delve into this because I had to know what the context was for that shittiness, that absolutely uncalled-for shittiness. I wanted to know if she had been active in the women's rights movement, if she had done something outside of the sports sphere to give whoever concocted that headline an excuse for such a puerile, nasty little bit of work. So I ran a search in Chronicling America, which you'll hear all about after this message from our sponsor. Expectant mothers for three generations have made childbirth easier by using Mother's Friend, sold by all drugstores, right for booklet on motherhood and the baby, free, Bradfield Regulator Company, Department 9D, Atlanta, Georgia. We now return to our show. Believe it or not, folks, that advertisement, which, by the way, like all the advertisements in this episode, comes from that same issue of the Atlanta Tri-Weekly Journal, that advertisement was not for an opium-based patent medicine, which is more or less what I expected. I'll put a link in the show notes to a blog entry that I found that had a pretty extensive history of this mother's friend. And uh, again, contrary to what one might expect, there was a lot of grift going on uh, between the 1890s and the early 1900s. But the grift was really about the extravagant uh, false claims that the advertisements were making. Uh, It wasn't any lies about what uh, ingredients went into it, because when it was analyzed, turned out it was just uh, uh, oil and uh, I don't remember what other ingredient. But it was innocuous ingredients. There was more or less no, no medicine in it, but it went on for decades and decades and eventually became like a, a skin cream. So, on we go to the history of Mola, the tennis champion. This is from the South Bend News Times, and here we're going back to August 25th. 1921. Mola's husband is her greatest admirer. New York, August 24th. Mrs. Mola Bjornstedt Mallory's husband is a good sport. He isn't jealous because his wife, queen of America's tennis courts, usurps all the family limelight. Instead, he's the proudest man in New York. He's so proud of Mola that she has to suppress his enthusiasm sometimes. Following her sweeping victory over Mary Kay Brown at Forest Hills, which again crowned her as the national champion, he was the first to rush across the courts to grasp her hand and congratulate her. 
Mr. Mallory is just as anxious as his wife that she should meet Suzanne Langlin again. <clears throat> Disappointed. I was more disappointed than Mala herself, if that was possible, when Suzanne defaulted, he says. During the matches at Forest Hills, he sat in a box and led the cheering for his wife. Mr. Mallory is a broker in New York, but sidetracks business when his wife is in action on the courts. There is just one flaw in Mola's whirlwind of victories, according to the Mallorys. It was the empty triumph over Suzanne. Enthused When asked if she wished to meet Suzanne again, Mola's eyes lit up like storm clouds as she fished her... As she fished her reply? Huh. Do I? And when asked if she thought she would beat the French Marvel, of course I will. No, oh, sorry, folks. I think I meant to say, do I? As in, of course I do. Uh, and then she says, uh, in regards to beating the French Marvel, of course I will. If Suzanne accomplishes her ambition to annex the world tennis title, she'll have to conquer both the Mallorys, Mola with the power of a giantess in her racket wrists and the husband who will be lending his moral support 100% to his wife in her greatest contest. Now, alongside that article, you will see a good-sized photo of the smiling Mrs. Mola Bjornstedt Mallory. Moving on to August 28th, 1921. This is from the New York Tribune. And again, go to the show notes because you don't want to miss these photos. There, uh, This comes from a full-page spread of photographs, and three of those photographs in the spread have Mola in them. The first one is an overhead shot in the midst of the tennis match. The second one is a view of her apparently lying on the court after her victory. Uh, six times champion. Above is pictured the brilliant match at Forest Hills last Saturday week in which Mrs. Mola Bjornstedt Mallory defeated Mrs. Miss Mary E. Brown of California by 4-6, to 6-4, six, six to 6-2, to earning for her the title of Women's National Champion of America for the sixth time and bringing to a glorious close the greatest season of women's tennis the century has ever known. At the right, a close-up of the enthusiastic smiles of both the winner and the vanquished, and there never was a better loser. While at the left, Marvelous Mola, or if you prefer, the bronze Norse girl, takes a stretch on the grass between sets to rest her nerves. Hugh here. So, again, there's three pictures. The top one is the overhead shot of the match. Uh, the one below that is a picture of Mola laying on the court, apparently after her victory. She's just beaming. And then the third one is both Mola and her opponent after Mola beat her. And both of them are grinning like, uh, like, I don't know, like a, like a kid that's just won a prize. Um, as the article says, she is the there never was a better loser.
Uh, I believe it. Historic headlines will return after this brief commercial message. Send no money. Now, pants, a dollar and eighty-five cents. Guaranteed seven-dollar value or your money back. Made to your order. New Wholesale Tailoring House makes this sensational introductory offer. Good for 30 days only. Perfect fitting, excellent wearing, pants of fine quality, weave worsted. Guaranteed $7, pre-war value or money back. Any style or size, no extra charges. Parcel post or express, prepaid. Write today for 60 cloth samples free. One pair to a customer. One dollar eighty-five cents. Agents wanted. Earn big money. Send orders for your relatives, friends, and neighbors. Nice, easy spare time work that pays you twenty dollars to forty dollars a week. Send us your handsome cloth sample outfit and full information in first mail. Free. Right today. Strand Tailoring Company, Baltimore, Maryland. Department four ninety. And we're back. Now we move forward to the New York Herald of September 4th, 1921. Mrs. Mallory, greatest match player at tennis. Tilden tells of woman champion's leading asset and how her determination accomplished defeat of Mademoiselle Suzanne Langlin by William T. Tilden. The second. Marvelous Mola. There is no other way of referring to the greatest match player in the entire world of women's tennis. Mrs. Franklin I. Mallory, formerly Miss Mola Bjornstedt, has proven conclusively that she is supreme in women's tennis when the test is greatest. Her magnificent victory over Suzanne Langen, Langlin in the recent Women's National Championship at Forest Hills cannot be dimmed by any regrets over Mademoiselle Suzanne Langlin's de default. It was clean-cut, deserved in every particular, and well-earned. It stands as the greatest single achievement of a woman player during all tennis time. True, Mademoiselle Suzanne Langlin was not physically at her best, but she played fully up to her average game and was certainly better than when she accounted for Mrs. Mallory at St. Cloud, France, and fully as good as when she crushed our other American star, Miss Ryan, at Wimbledon. The overthrow of Mademoiselle Suzanne Langlin was not due to a letdown in her game. It was a case of a far different Mola facing her when they met at Forest Hills a few weeks ago. Mola Mallory carried herself to victory with a determined, carefully planned attack that was based on the knowledge she had gained during her previous match with Mademoiselle Langlin, the match she lost to her at St. Cloud early in the summer. I consider Mola's triumph a deserved verdict due to careful study and applied strategy. Mola found the flaws. Mola had no alibis for her defeat by Mademoiselle Suzanne in Paris. She said to me right after that match, I had no patience. Next time I will have more. We sat down and carefully analyzed 
Mademoiselle Langland's game at that time. <clears throat> we found it a great game, but not without flaws, and Mola set out to find these flaws. She worked steadily with this in view. She was denied her chance in England because she fell before Miss Ryan. Even that unexpected upset did not deter her. She continued to build her plan of attack for Suzanne's American tour. How well she succeeded is tennis history. It was not Mola Mallory's stroke that beat Suzanne Langlin. The French girl is a greater and more versatile artist of the racket than our star. Mola realized this, but it was her dominant personality and her refusal to admit defeat that upset Langlin. Abroad, Mademoiselle Suzanne's opponents are beaten when they step on the court, but her great reputation had no terrors for Mola. In fact, this was an added incentive. Mola is at her best in the biggest matches. She is like Billy Johnston in this respect. Thus, she stepped on the court against Suzanne Langlin at Forest Hills with a determination to win that was felt by the 10,000 spectators gathered to see this memorable battle. All this must have had its effect upon Langlin. No player could have faced such a situation without reacting to it, and this reaction was nothing more than a natural nervousness. After all, Suzanne had only been off the boat three days, and she was playing in a strange land and under strange conditions. Personally, I am surprised she played so well. I feel that her defeat was a natural result of many things, chief of them being the marvelous tennis of Mola, which clearly placed her in the premier position among women players of the entire world. Mola, greatest of all times! It is my belief that Mrs. Franklin, I, Mallory, is the greatest tennis player among women of all time. I look to see her defeat Mademoiselle Suzanne Langlin, whenever they meet, in a match that carries a big stake in the way of a title, and I base this opinion on the wonderful match-winning personality she possesses. This is the dominant quality of the courts, the sole one that enabled her to rise to the pinnacle of tennis fame. It ever has, and it ever will, accomplish the downfall of better strokes. Long live Queen Mola of the Courts! May her reign be lengthy and prosperous. Copyright 1921, Sol Metzger. Hugh here. I want you to pay attention to the number of times within these articles that I'm reading to you, the writer compares Mola to a male sports figure, a very well-thought-of, well-renowned male sports figure, because I believe that figures into what we're, what we're seeing here. Historic headlines will return. Fitz! Regardless of how many doctors or others have told you that Fitz cannot be cured, I know and can prove that Lepso has cured some of the worst cases I ever saw. If you, a friend, or a relative suffer, send name, give age and address, and I will send you a bottle of this free famous treatment. I do not ask for a single penny. I send it to you without cost, so you can prove what it will do in your own case. 
Mrs. Paul Graham says she suffered for over 14 years. That doctors and medicine did her no good, she took Lepso and has not had a single attack in over 15 years. Hundreds of other remarkable testimonials. Send no money! Don't doubt, don't hesitate, don't lose courage. Just send name and address for the free proof bottle. Do this today! RPN Lepso, Department 17, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We now return to our show. This is from the New Britain Herald of New Britain, Connecticut, Tuesday, September 6th, 1921, just four days before that initial photo piece that I read at the top. It's Mola! Yep, that's it. That's all it says in the headline. It's Mola! Then we see that same striking photograph of Mola, and underneath, the same text. This is a new studio portrait of Mrs. Franklin Mallory, and then in parens, yes, that's Mola Bjornstedt Mallory, 1921 Women's Single Tennis Champion of the United States. So, that presentation is not without its connotation of, of physical commentary, or rather commentary on Mola's physicality, but I don't believe it's mean-spirited in the slightest that in parens, yes, that's Mola Bjornstedt Mallory, blah, 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 I think that's simply intended to convey, okay, you've seen pictures of her on the court, uh, sort of buck-tooth-looking and, and sweaty and all energized from a tennis match and squinting and yada, yada, yada. Um, here she is under the lights of a professional photographer after she's had her hair cut, and wow, what a striking woman. That's, that's the connotation I get sans that mean-spirited headline. Here, it's just... It's Mola, which sounds so hilariously sitcom-y. It's Mola! Um, so that one doesn't leave a bad taste in my mouth even a little bit, despite the, you know, the, the slight commenting on her, on her physical appearance, which, let's be realistic, it's the sports pages. There's always going to be commentary on the sports figure's physical appearance. I don't necessarily read misogyny into that. <clears throat> Moving on to the Seattle Star, on the same day, same photograph. This time, the headline is, Mola, the Eagle-Eyed. And underneath, same text. So, I like that one. It's basically riffing on the appearance of that picture. Again, she looks like she's drilling a hole in the camera lens with her gaze. Um, she's just endlessly striking. So it's natural for a writer to say, hmm, well, she's a tennis star. She's eagle-eyed. This is the way she sizes up her opponent. This is the way she studies the game, and and wouldn't you hate to be under that fierce gaze in the middle of a heated competition? Makes sense. Moving on to October 1st, this time, Indiana, yeah, Indiana Daily Times, 
Indianapolis, Saturday, October 1st. She's queen of net courts. That's the headline over the same picture. Slightly different text underneath. A new studio portrait of Mrs. Franklin Mallory, the former Miss Mola Bjornstedt, who recently won the 1921 Championship of the United States for women's singles at lawn tennis for the fifth time. So that one is relatively sterile, clinical, uh, withholding any sense of judgment or tittering. And it, it comes across as not aloof, what's the word I'm looking for? It comes across as refraining from any kind of puerile, not just meanness, but refraining from any sort of unseemly commentary on a woman's appearance, and I really I admire that. Historic headlines will return after this brief commercial message. Old Sores! Since 1869, Allen's Ulcerine Salve has healed more old sores than all other salves combined. Most powerful salve known. Heals sores from bottom up, drawing out the poisons. By mail, 65 cents. Book free. J.P. Allen Medicine Company, Department B2, St. Paul, Minnesota. And we're back. Moving forward to October 20th. This is from the Lehigh Sun of Lehigh, Utah. Mola is strongest player. Mm. Mrs. Mallory broke Suzanne Langland's heart in single set. Like whirlwind crushing fly. Mola Bjornstedt Mallory wields the strongest racket of any woman in the world. In one week, she played her way through the national women's singles with a power that it was impossible to stop. She broke Suzanne Langland's heart in a single set, like a whirlwind, crushing a helpless butterfly, and she called on all her reserve power to defeat Miss Mary K. Brown in the deciding match that made her America's Queen of the Courts. Mola has held the national title six times. Hugh here. So if you go and look at this article, you'll see a different picture than those that have come before. She looks like a woman in 1921, dressed in thick woolens. And, uh, again, I want you to stop and think about the optics of this article. The writer speaks in such glowing terms. I'm trying to tease out here what it was like for that miserable, childish shitheel sitting there reading all of these glowing articles, writers heaping praise on this woman who had the audacity to get out there and play like a monster, worse, like a man.
And now these writers are comparing her to male athletes? More on that when Historic Headlines returns. 16,799 died in New York City alone from kidney trouble last year. Don't allow yourself to become a victim by neglecting pains and aches. Guard against trouble by taking gold metal Harlem oil capsules. The world's standard remedy for kidney, liver, bladder, and uric acid troubles. Holland's national remedy since 1696. All druggists, three sizes, guaranteed. Look for the name gold medal on every box and accept no imitation. We now return to our show. Now we're moving over to Bismarck, North Dakota. This is the Bismarck Tribune from October 20th, 1921. And it also appeared in a whole passel of other newspapers. I'd say I saw this one at least six or eight times, which means, given the fact that I was only doing a single cursory search, I I have no doubt that it was printed in dozens of newspapers across the country. It's an extensive photo collage of, let's see here, one, two, three, four men, two women, and a horse. And the headline is, 1921 title winners show champs are made, not born. Top row, left to right, Dan Shea, Babe Ruth, Ethelda Bleibtree, Mrs. Mola Mallory, Jim Barnes, bottom, Peter Manning and Jack Dempsey, by Roy Grove. The bird who chirped, champions are born, not made, was talking in his sleep. And you can easily prove it to yourself if you'll check over the leaders of 1921 as they stand on the eve of the summer sporting season's hibernation. The best of them, you'll find, were made. Made through sheer determination. It was determination alone that made Ethelda Bleibtree the greatest all-round swimmer that the feminine sex ever developed. As a girl, Ethelda was thin and round-shouldered. Her health was bad, but she determined to build herself up. She went at outdoor exercises, including swimming, vigorously. In 1921, she shattered world's swimming marks, one after another. Last April, in a New Jersey competition, she made 50 yards with the backstroke in 38-4-5. Later... She lowered the world record at that stroke to 35 for 100 yards to 1 hour 17 minutes 3-5 and for 150 yards to 2 hours 10 minutes 1-5. In the freestyle, she lowered the world record for 300 yards to 4-11-2-5 and the American records for 100 yards to 106-1-5, for 400 yards to 5-44 and for 440 yards to 6 10 Four, five. Jock Hutchinson was a caddy in Scotland. 
not any better than the other caddies and not any worse, but constant application and effort on his part as he grew up in United States enabled him to go back to Scotland last summer and win the British Open Golf Championship against the stars of the home of golf. And you say they were born? Babe Ruth, with Baltimore, wasn't a great star. He didn't shine, especially in the National League, for his batting average there was only 2-3-1. It wasn't until he began to put in a lot of deep study on the psychology of hitting home runs that he really began to get some place. And now? Well, two world records for home runs in two consecutive seasons is not so bad. And you say they were born? You'll find it true of all the rest of those who had the survival of the sport fittest list. Long Jim Barnes, winner of the National Open Golf Championship at Washington last summer, never had an easy time with a mashie. He has chased championship matches for years and never won. But in between, he hunted up the keenest of competition and gradually built himself up until he copped. Dan Shea is much like Barnes. He worked hard here and there at this and that and finally grabbed off the championship of the decathlon or all-around track and field athlete title. It's the same with them all. Mrs. Mola Bjornstedt-Mallory at tennis, Jack Dempsey in the ring, or even the trotter, Peter Manning, on the track. Champions are born, yes, but not born champions. Hugh here, moving on to October 21st, Perth Amboy Evening News, same photo spread, same article. Historic headlines will return after this message. Stop that itch! Purify your blood! Eczema, tetter, and many other skin troubles are due to disordered blood. If you are afflicted with skin trouble, don't suffer the maddening torture longer, but start right away to purify your blood with SSS, the standard blood purifier for over 50 years. For special booklet or for individual advice, without charge, write Chief Medical Advisor, SSS Company, Department 430, Atlanta, Georgia. Get SSS at your druggist. S-S-S, the standard blood purifier. We now return to our show. So now we're going forward to November 3rd. This is from the Rock Island Argus and Daily Union. This is an impressive illustration, and I say that because I've spent almost an entire lifetime reading comic books, and I like to think I have a pretty good eye for black and white illustrators, and I love the drawing style of this illustrator. It's got a real kinetic feel to it. Uh, I think this is a highly skilled and uh, talented illustrator. Now, get a load of this headline. 
mannish slashing winds for three women. Now you have these black and white line illustrations of the three women. On the left, in the background, it says this. Suzanne Langlin drives with a combination of slashing via the aerial route. And uh, if you're looking at this illustration, which you should be in the show notes, people, come on, come on, get there. If you're looking at this illustration and you're like me, you're reminded of Brad Pitt doing the quote-unquote hoplite hop in the movie uh, Troy. Uh, She is shown just leaping into the air and then swinging downward with the racket. In the right background, there's a similarly sized illustration that says underneath, It is no common occurrence for Miss Cecil Leitch to drive 300 yards. And again, this is a very kinetic-looking illustration of a woman uh, doing a backswing. I, I don't know golf. I, I don't know if that's the right term for it, but you can really see the motion as she leans backward and swings the club in a, a wide overhead swing. But the figure that dominates this illustration, right in the middle, uh, drawn in very stark black ink, Mrs. Mola Bjornstedt, sorry, Mrs. Mola Bjorstedt Mallory attacks with all the force of most men. And she's got this sort of stompy, heavy, clomping feel to her gait. She's, uh, it almost looks like she's, she's galloping aggressively forward. And she's got not exactly a scowl, but a set look on her face as she swings the racket confidently in front of her. So again, two references to manliness just in the headline and the captions. Mannish slashing wins for three women, and Mrs. Mola Burstett Mallory attacks with all the force of most men. So here's the story below. By Roy Grove. Woman's place is in the home. Used to be the universal belief. Not now. So fast has woman jumped into man's field that when a woman does something in a mannish way, the one-time head of the house, sex, looks upon it as a matter of course and lets it go at that. There are three women prominent in athletics who equal the speed, power, and endurance of man. They are Mrs. Mola Bjorstedt Mallory, Miss Cecil Leitch, and Miss Suzanne Langland. Mola Mallory and Suzanne are indeed the Babe Ruths of the tennis world. The only difference in their play is the way in which they get around the court. Mola is what one might call a merciless type of player. Banging with all the force of a big league swatter, she runs across the courts in sure and heavy strides, manly in all respects. Her backstrokes and volley shots equal those of Tilden, for she gets the maximum power for them from the shoulder. 
She goes into action, gritting her teeth and setting her jaw with all the determination of a pugilist. There is nothing of the daintiness about her work. It is swing and hit, and at the completion of the stroke, both feet are firmly on the ground, and her eyes reflect the power of her thoughts. Suzanne Langland is rather of the opposite type in some respects, although she possesses that same mannishness in her footwork and is certain to get the ball and get it quickly, no matter what position she may be in after the play is finished. There is a certain amount of daintiness in the work of the French flash that does not show up in Mola's work. Her speed is dazzling and sensational. Suzanne, you must remember, is French, and that carries with it temperament, and a certain amount of delicacy. But, although not so mannish, perhaps, as Mola, her stroke is just as powerful, and her greater speed more than offsets the handicap. Miss Cecil Leitch, the great British woman golfer, is more powerful than the average masculine golfer and has outdriven many of the pros of the opposite sex. She is known for her bulldoggedness, and when in a sand bunker, this Ruth of the Lynx lets them have it with all the force of a sandstorm. There is nothing distinctive about her golf except that it is played with the same long drives that a man would play. Because of her power, she often has to go to the male ranks for practice, for women dislike to play against one who is so superior. But even against the men, her practice games are generally won. Historic Headlines will return after this brief commercial message. NR Tonight! Tomorrow, all right. NR, a vegetable... Uh, wow, I really can't re read that word. Sorry, folks. A vegetable... Apariant? Adds tone and vigor to the digestion and eliminative system. Improves the appetite, relieves sick headache and biliousness, corrects constipation. Used for over 30 years. Acts on the liver, stomach, kidneys, and bowels. Nature's Remedy. Registered U.S. Patent Office. NR Tablets. NR. Price, 25 cents. A.H. Lewis Medicine Company, St. Louis, USA. Get a 25-cent box. Your druggist. Huh. Boy, folks, I still have not gotten it through my head that I absolutely have to at least do a once-over of every advertisement, even if I think the text is clear. Because damned if I know what that says. A vegetable appiant? Wow. It'll come to me. I'll, I'll put a correction in the show notes. So, now we're moving forward to November 4th, 1921, and we're going over to the North Mississippi Herald of Water Valley, Yalabusha County, Mississippi. Mola is Dempsey of Tennis Court. Go to the show notes, folks. There's a fantastic picture of her beaming, and her cheeks are poking out because they're so rounded from her wide smile. I mean, she looks so happy. Mola Bjorstedt, Mallory, doesn't look much the 
petted favorite of society in this picture, taken as she proved for the sixth time that she is the best woman tennis player in the world. It was she who made the French-European champion, Suzanne Langlin, quit in the second set of a terrific net battle in national play this month at Long Island. Hugh here, again, comparisons to men and focusing on how she does not fit the feminine mold. Moving on to December 18, 1921, this is the Washington Herald of Washington, D.C., and uh, if you go to the show notes, you'll see that it's a full-page spread. The Washington Herald, Rotogradur magazine, Champions of 1921, and among all of these uh, champions of golf, baseball, motorcycling, track, swimming, there is Mola Bjorstadt Mallory, victor over Suzanne Langlin in the National Women's Singles. And in this one, it's more like what you would expect from a photograph from 1921 of a woman tennis champion. Uh, it's just she's just sort of standing there, straight on the court in her outfit, holding her tennis racket. But again, think about the fact that she is in this elegant-looking photo spread in the Washington Herald, alongside a bunch of male sports champions, and I'm emphasizing that. Because I want to go back to that first headline that gave me such a wrenching feeling, a uh, sick cognitive dissonance, while looking at that fierce, beautiful, blazing visage looking out of that 100-year-old newspaper towards me, I see modern cave woman is tennis champion. Is it naive of me to think that what I'm doing here tonight will do a damn bit of good? Because the only reason I am doing this is because I have this strong feeling that looking back a hundred years and seeing something that is so obscenely familiar has merit has value. Because it's one thing to look around us in this morass of a social media ecosystem and see the horrible, childish meanness leveled at sports figures such as Simone Biles. She's the one that comes immediately to mind because this sort of bilious, vicious, Queerile attack, it's indistinguishable from what I saw in that newspaper. So what? Well, for my money, it's so much clearer. Looking back through that century of history clears the table off. It does for me, at least. I hope it does for you. It clears the mental 
landscape, and it leaves you with a stark quiet. It's the equivalent of a winter's day. You walk out and there's no sound, and all you see are those bare trees. This is the rhetorical equivalent of that. All you can see is this stark black and white line drawing of a shitty, shitty, callow, small little boy who saw a woman being praised. He saw a woman being fierce and victorious. And he saw other men praising her for that and placing her beside other prominent male figures, other sports figures. The only way he could get a dig in, the only way he could think of to respond to that, the only way he could express himself is that bilious little eruption of What do you call that? Modern cave woman is tennis champion? I don't know how to describe something that shockingly small-spirited. Shocking because it's so goddamn familiar. And again, I hope I'm not doing this for nothing. I hope that someone parts the curtains of the last 10 decades and looks back at this and sees just how much fidelity there is between the rhetoric of today and the rhetoric of that time. Just like parting the 15 decades and looking back on the rhetoric of 1868 to 1861 and all the rhetoric around slavery and reconstruction, just like looking at that and seeing how rhetorically indistinguishable those articles are from our uh, rhetoric around race today, the way we talk about it or fail to talk about it. I believe that has value. This is the same thing. I hope I hope you can see what this tells us about our behavior today. Because when when something is so sickeningly familiar that has to tell us something. It has to tell us that it's just as clear as day we haven't moved that far from our baser impulses. The fact that this this guy at the Atlanta Tri-Weekly Journal was able to express such a base-level childish meanness in the headlines of a presumably successful newspaper He was able to do that. He did it because he could. 
And I think that tells us something about how how the media still operates today. And I hope it gives us some context for how we can respond to that kind of pettiness and, and owning the libs today. And I hope it helps us make decisions about about which battles we choose to fight, about choosing our battles. Because this shit is just pathetic, folks. It's beneath pathetic. And all the squabbling over this transparently childish, mean-spirited nonsense. (sighs) There's got to be a better way. I hope this helps show us the way. Thanks for listening. And until next time, seek context. This is Hugh Yeeman, and you've been listening to the Historic Headlines podcast. Thanks, as always, to Tom Trinisky for all his fabulous work on FultonHistory.com. Without his free repository of old newspapers, this podcast wouldn't exist. Through the air with the greatest of ease A daring young man on the flying trapeze His movements were graceful, the girls he could please And my love he stole away